atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans, Sam Bushman and Kirk Crosby, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, continues now. This is the broadcast for May 28th in the year of our Lord, 2020, hour two of two. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. I know we got a lot of turmoil in America, folks. You want to take America back now, and you want to do it fast. But, folks, we didn't lose America in a day. We haven't lost America yet. Okay, yeah, we've lost a lot of freedom, I get it, but we have the wonderful, blessed blueprint set forth by the Founding Fathers to bring our country back. And that's why we stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live. Pete Sepp, President of National Taxpayers Union, back on your radio. Welcome, sir. Great to be here, as always. All right, I don't mean to start off on a negative question, but I do feel like we need to openly discuss this. Uh, so take this where you want, Pete, but I do have the question. Do you think governments to flat out destroy the economy, or do you think we can recover? We can recover, but it's going to be a long slog back. I mean, just on your news break before we came back on air, we have, for example, uh, a U.N. representative saying that the number of people whose food security is endangered in Latin America alone will likely quadruple because of the COVID-19 crisis. So this has an international dimension to it, and we have to start thinking about the economic impact on people's daily lives that literally can cause deaths. That's the fallout of the response. Some would say necessary, others would say perhaps understated, some would say overstated, but it was the response to this pandemic that put us into these economic circumstances, and they are having ripples not only through the United States, but around the world. That's the challenge we face. We're up to it, but we got to get to it right away. And I don't bring this up to be negative, and I don't mean to look back. What we've done, we've already done. Let's be clear. You can't change that, right? And so I'm not really trying to, to pardon the phrase, cry over spilled milk, but I am trying to really highlight the situation that we're in. And then highlight, you know what, if we've got a long slog back, but it's doable, then the only questions left are how are the best ways to go about uh, such a march towards a recovery. And the reason that I bring this up is because in the last hour alone, we highlighted that Boeing is announcing that 6,700 are getting involuntary layoffs and another 5,500 are doing voluntary layoffs. That's 13,000 high-tech jobs in America alone. Right after that, Chevron, to cut up to 15% of its workforce, 45,000 employees worldwide. That means another six, 7,000. We're talking about 20,000 high-tech jobs just announced in the last day and a half uh, that are literally going away as we try to come out of the uh, you know, lockdown and, and move towards recovery. This is going to be a tough, tough Tough road to hoe, Mr. Pete Sepp. Yeah, it certainly is. And we have to take advantage of every emerging opportunity, not only in our own economy here at home, but also around the world. And equally important, governments have to realize that further missteps can make this job much harder, if not impossible. Pick any of half a dozen things going on right now that governments could either help 
or hinder. There is, for example, over in Europe, a plan to try to impose what are called digital services taxes on high-tech platforms. You know, uh, think of Amazon or Google or, or any of those. Well, that would have downstream effects on all of the small businesses that use those services to sell their goods or to support their activities. The European uh, Union hopes to raise something like $100 billion of revenue from this exercise at a time when these companies are providing potentially a backbone for an economic recovery. The last thing we want to do is impose that kind of tax. You go here at home, you have all kinds of deregulatory measures that were undertaken by the Trump administration and a number of governors and legislatures in the states to enable things like telehealth. If we're going to go backward and reimpose the regulations that prevented telehealth from growing, we may very well squash an emerging industry that could help to put some of those high-tech workers who are losing jobs and about to lose their jobs to work in another sector. So we can't miss the opportunity to keep up the deregulation and regulatory reform efforts that this crisis necessitated. We don't want to turn back the clock and create yet another crisis, one in our economy that we can't overcome. I don't really know how to respond to this because there's so many things that could be done that could be helpful and so many things that could be done. If you do it wrong, the same item but done differently would be so hindering, if you will. And let me just throw out a couple of things that I think would be so simple that all sides of the aisle should jump aboard for, if you will. Um, I think, for example, if you were to start to say, listen, let's get rid of this idea that if you repatriate American money, from overseas that there's a massive tax penalty. One of the things Donald Trump has talked about is reducing taxes everywhere, creating tax breaks. In other words, 2.0, Rand Paul and others were trying to work on that as well. In my mind, that's one of the biggest things you can do is say, let's not have a penalty to repatriated money. That alone would be huge. And I don't know who would really be opposing it at this point. Yeah, they shouldn't be opposing it. It's very important. And of course, the president has said we need to have a more secure supply chain for durable medical goods and uh, pharmaceuticals. Well, there are wrong ways and right ways to do that. Wrong ways are putting up more trade barriers or requiring certain materials to be purchased in the United States. That sounds like a fine idea until you realize that's going to be really complicated. It's going to drive up the prices of certain things and create shortages. The right way to help secure our supply chain is to remove the obstacles to bringing back investment into the United States. You just hit on one of them, Sam. Have others. We need to allow businesses to fully expense their research and development costs against their taxes. We need to make full expensing for building structures part of the new tax policy. We need to make all of these policies permanent so that businesses know, okay, I can invest in America and staying here, or those who are abroad can say, I can invest and go to America over the long term. And that's something we're going to need to provide is not just another so-called stimulus, but rather 
good, solid policies that are going to stand the test of time so we can say to business owners, small and large, hey, no matter what else happens, these policies are going to remain in place. You can count on them. I agree that we need to be able to count on them. How close are we really to discussing uh, things like I'm talking about and things like you're proposing? Are we? Uh, do we have our heads stuck in the sand? Are we so bitterly divided that the real topics aren't on the table? Or be, Because we don't hear much about it in the news. We just hear corona, the world's melting down, everything's hireable. But I do believe there are people working behind the scenes to make things better, even if we don't hear about it. What real efforts are being made behind the scenes, Pete? We're already laying the groundwork, for example, to make those expensing provisions permanent that I just spoke about. Uh, After all, some of them are expiring in the year 2022, which sounds like a long ways out, but it's about 18 months from now. Uh, We need to get to work right away in having this debate. Uh, Congressman Jody Arrington of Texas has introduced a bill on the House side to uh, make this happen. It's called the ALIGN Act, Accelerate Long-Term Investment Growth Now, clever acronym, (laughs) Act, H.R. 6802. Uh, Senator Pat Toomey on the Senate side has introduced similar legislation. Uh, We also have Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. He's introduced a bill, H.R. 6960, that would expand the expensing to structures so that if a company wants to build a new plant in the United States, they could write off those costs against their taxes right away instead of over a 39-year period. So those bills are going to provide the groundwork for debate now. It won't be easy in the democratically controlled House, but I will say this. The Democratic chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, which handles most of the tax policy in the House, uh, his name is Richie Neal, has said he is open to a number of these ideas. That's a Democrat talking. Uh, Not all Democrats are going to go along with him, but that's an important saying, well, maybe we have some room to work here. You've got to hold out hope and take advantage of that kind of opportunity and say, all right, uh, Congressman, let's talk. (sighs) It seems like it's so far from where we are. And I don't mean to be negative with that statement. I do mean to be real, though, for the average American feeling like, you know, my state or my county or my governor, we're debating if we're even going to open. People are getting yeah. arrested for opening too early. And and at some point, you know, the Democrats love this because they can try to push for a universal basic income, UBI, uh, off of this thing. Is that where we're going to head it? Is that going to end up getting the traction? I pray not, but predict it may well be. Yeah, I pray not as well. The, of course, advantage we have is we're both working on the same legislative timetable. So we can talk more about that after the break. We'll do it, ladies and gentlemen. Pete Sepp is with us, president of National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. Always doing a phenomenal job. And listen, go to their website, see what they're working on. We'll get an update from Pete on that as well in this hour. Uh, But I will say this, they also partner locally. If you want to start a group in your area to lower taxes and create accountability, they're willing to help.
I believe there will come a time when we are all judged on whether or not we took a stand in defense of all life from the moment of conception until our last natural breath. As a teenager, I gave my first public speech in my church. My hand shook, my heart pounded. I thought to myself, I can't do this, but somehow I did. And because I wanted to talk about things that were important, I persisted. I chided my church as a senior in high school for not seeming to care about the not yet born, for looking the other way and for not taking a stand on life. I will be in earnest. I will not equivocate and I will not excuse. I will not retreat an inch and I will be heard. One thing I promise you, I will always take a stand for life. Is receiving a faith-based, character-focused education for your children difficult to find? Do you believe that godly principles should be a central component in your child's education? Imagine a school where faith and integrity are at its center, where heritage and responsibility instill character. For over 40 years, American Heritage School has been educating both hearts and minds, bringing out academic excellence. This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental, where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's Advanced Distance Education Program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. That's American-Heritage.org. With news the networks refuse to use. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right, we're talking to Pete Sepp, National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. Right before the pause, we were talking about this universal basic income concern. Uh, I don't want this to be even up for serious discussion. And at first glance, most Americans would be like, Sam, that doesn't have a prayer. You're wasting your time even talking about that. Come on, that's goofy. I used to think that and would agree with that view. Now I'm not so sure, Pete. Yeah, it's got more than a prayer, but... Fortunately, as I said just before the break, the proponents of universal basic income face the same or perhaps even greater legislative hurdles than proponents of liberty and those who want to see better tax policies guide uh, the way we get out of this economic uh, morass. I, I think that the election could very well tip uh, the balance in the United States Senate, in which case we could be in deep trouble and would have to be fighting uh, on the defensive against uh, schemes like UBI. But at least for the remainder of the year, it looks like it's a proposal that could gain some traction in the House, but is not likely to get past the United States Senate. And not likely to be signed by the president either, correct? No, no, that's correct. Not right. likely. Good news on that score, folks. Uh, I don't want to focus on that a lot. I'm just saying those are some of the things that we got to kind of keep an eye out on uh, and focus on. Now, there's a couple of positive headlines at NTU.org that I want to bounce off, Pete. First one says this. 
NTU urges Treasury to extend the postponement of excise tax payments. Brandon Arnold uh, for NTU.org with the piece. This one's critical. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's one of the things that we're trying to do to gradually provide businesses with small things here and there to keep afloat and to keep their cash flow going. And I I think this is one of them. Uh, The Treasury has postponed certain excise tax payments uh, that are made um, by the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau's uh, jurisdiction. Um, You're talking about uh, brewers, distillers, vintners. Um, On another front, uh, there are also excise taxes that um, airlines have had to pay and remit to a so-called government trust fund, a fiction in and of itself, but we'll set that aside for the moment. What we've been doing is uh, lobbying the Treasury as well as uh, members of Congress to support uh, not only extensions of time to pay some of these taxes, but um, abatements of the taxes. And this goes hand in hand with some of the tax credits we've been seeking for other employers. Uh, The employee retention tax credit, for example, which provides abatement, not just delays in payroll So let's stop for a second and kind of catch people up on a little bit of terms so people know what we're talking about. When we talk about these excise taxes... I don't want people to just think we're talking about, oh, taxes on alcohol or cigarettes. That's certainly part of it. But what you got to understand is a lot of businesses are dependent businesses. Let's say that you got a brewery in a given area and a bunch of people work there. Because of that, you get a such and such company in the same area. And before you know it, you got five companies in that area. And then you get all the infrastructure that supports those five companies, restaurants and the like, the grocery store. And I go on. Um, you got to understand this isn't just about defending, say, alcohol. Or whatever. This is right. about the broad economic sector that all these businesses, believe it or not, relate to. And when you start to make changes in this little uh, issue here, you start to have a huge uh, synergistic impact, is the way I might describe it, where you start to affect a lot of other businesses that have nothing at first glance to, quote, do with it. But yet the truth is they do. So NTU is urging the Treasury to extend the postponement of these taxes and then create abatements for some of these. And then we'll get into the other taxes too. But abatements basically mean forgiveness or you don't have to pay and or sometimes money back that you've already paid in, right? Yes, exactly. I just want people to get the terms because it's kind of complex, sadly, Pete. Yeah, it is. Uh, Nothing about taxes is simple. And uh, that's a topic for about 10 shows of Liberty Roundtable. Uh, There's so much that needs to be done there. But in the near term, uh, yes, you're absolutely right to point out that providing tax relief uh, of a a specific tax on a specific product does not just mean that the burden is lifted on that specific product and business. It has a ripple effect to all of the businesses and consumers that support the product or service. And you can look at airlines as well, uh, having an abatement of paying uh, airline ticket excise taxes. Well, uh, that not only helps passengers who might still have to engage in business travel, it helps to uh, support businesses at airports, all the concessions that you have there, uh, a lot of the employees who man the gates, 
and it just ripples throughout the economy. But let me explain another way it ripples. If the national leads on this discussion, then a lot of counties and states and local municipalities that put, quote, entertainment taxes or restaurant extra taxes or you know, sometimes they there's different terms for these taxes. But hotels and the travel industry and, and restaurants and entertainment have all these extra taxes that people pay. It's a greater uh, percentage. Now, they're not exactly excise taxes, but they're kind of equivalents in a way. Um, what happens is if the if the nation does this pretty soon, local municipalities are going, we need to follow suit here. That effect can't be ignored as well. And especially if you have a local national taxpayer union group in a local area tying this together in the minds of those who serve us, politicians, in other words, then you have a real case for making that happen. Pete? Yes, that's absolutely correct. And I'll tell you, Sam, that's the next big, important battle that we're going to have to engage in, not only those types of nuisance taxes uh, that you just outlined, but property taxes in general. So many businesses are assessed property taxes based on the income that their property is producing. Think of an apartment building. Your property is assessed if you're an owner of an apartment building likely on the rents that you can fetch, as well as the market value of the building. Well, those have been badly shaken in this economy. How are businesses going to have their property taxes adjusted to reflect that fact so they can get back on their feet? And customers of those businesses aren't bearing additional burdens as well. We've got to start engaging localities on that front, not only keeping the overall burdens low through tax policy, but encouraging businesses as well as individuals to start challenging their property tax assessments and saying, hey, this isn't accurate anymore after COVID-19. You can't assess me on my property uh, based on a tax uh, when the economic conditions are totally different now. And especially when government, you know, we want to blame the economic crisis on the COVID. I understand the reasons to do that. But the fact is, the COVID doesn't cause it. Government did. Government made the choice to shut everybody down. Now, like or hate that choice, we're past it. We've already done it. So I'm not here to debate that choice. But I am here to say that's even greater reason to say, hey, wait a minute. You can't tax me on something that you prevented me from being able to generate and do in the first place, right? Exactly. And I've had this discussion with a lot of people, as I, I'm sure you have, Sam. Yeah, it's water under the bridge, but problem is still here. Government needs to clean it up. Now, when we say government needs to clean it up, I think we need to clean it up. And government is part of, not all of, but part of that solution. There are those who want to have government do everything. Then there's those who want to have government do nothing. And I want to have government fulfill its proper role and be right in the middle. Okay? I don't want government to do nothing. I also don't want to turn to government for everything. But I do want government to lead the way and support Again, let me say that again. Support the economic recovery. Now, whether you like or dislike President Trump, listen up. President Trump is now prioritizing deregulation to advance the economic recovery. Now, for NTU.org, Thomas Aiello wrote this piece, but President Trump is leading by prioritizing here exactly what we're discussing, Pete. Yes, he is, and we are absolutely thrilled that the president has kept his eye on deregulation. Uh, you know, even before the COVID-19 crisis, he was instituting reforms that would allow people who are the victims of regulations 
to petition their government for relief. Imagine that kind of constitutional principle uh, having been put on ice for the better part of 100 years coming back uh, in in the form of President Trump's executive order. But yes, uh, since the COVID-19 crisis, he's done all manner of things. Uh, in fact, uh, our friends at Americans for Tax Reform has cataloged more than 500 regulations that have been rolled back at all levels. Ladies and gentlemen, and according to the President of the United States of America, he says he's just getting started. The only question left is how can we help folks make that happen? I'll tell you what. Hang on. Pete Sepp with us, National Taxpayers Union. Pete wrote a column we're going to get to in seconds, too, ladies and gentlemen. Hard-hitting talk at your fingertips. You can be involved in the solutions. Partner with NTU.org. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Pete Sepp with me, National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. Man, they got some incredible articles up on their website right now. NTU.org, you can partner with them. They can help you with local guidance and possible partnership funding and a whole lot more if you want to create a local taxpayers group in your area to educate folks, to hold down the taxes, to make sure there's accountability uh, and make sure the proper role of government exists in your area. A lot of people say we're anti-government. They lie. We are for the proper role of constitutional government, folks. We support the supreme law of the land. And so we're probably as pro-proper role of government or pro-government as you can get if it's the proper role. Anyway, so President Trump prioritizes deregulation to advance the recovery. That's a great news article. But here's the next one. I'm telling you, they're on fire, folks. Headline says this. NTU leads 27 free market organizations in, in opposing the merger ban proposals. So this is where people want to just manipulate and get in the way of the free market. And you guys are leading the group saying, hey, wait a minute now, Pete. Yeah, what an incredibly silly proposal at a time like this, especially. What we're talking about are proposals uh, primarily being pushed forward by the so-called squad, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her colleagues, as well as um, lawmakers who really should know better, uh, Congressman David Cicilline of Rhode Island, who is in a position of power on a committee, to regulate uh, mergers and acquisitions in uh, the business world. And, of course, we have Elizabeth Warren along for the ride. Uh, This is called the Pandemic Anti-Monopoly Act uh, that uh, all of these lawmakers are pushing forward and sponsoring. And what their rationale is is saying that predatory large companies are going to gobble up small businesses and fire millions of workers. Okay, but let's stop when we say gobble up, though. A lot of these small businesses might go into flat-out non-existence, and I don't know that I'd call it gobble up and fire everybody as much as go out of business and fire everybody. They might get saved, sir. The free market has a way of creating this realistic balance that makes sense. Yes, and that's precisely the point we make in the letter, Sam. You're absolutely right. What a time to say to anyone, well, you can't acquire any companies. We just have to let them all fail and throw all of their workers out on the streets. That's a ridiculous proposition. We shouldn't be passing any kind of legislation that does this. Uh, It it is wrongheaded. It is 180 degrees opposite 
of the environment we need to have right now. We need a business climate where businesses that might be struggling or failing can get acquired by others who might have the cash to combine their operations and keep people on payrolls. That's the entire point of it. And uh, in fact, uh, there's no evidence that there's been a wave of mergers. Uh, Commissioner Noah Phillips of the Federal Trade Commission has said as such. Uh, And so this is legislation that really needs to uh, be smothered and put on the shelf. Uh, I, I think it should be just (laughs) <laughs> wadded up and thrown in the wastebasket. But this is where they're not really interested in the solutions here and bringing back businesses and saving business. This is a, a really a goal to, in my opinion, control the private sector uh, by government. These people are drunk with power, yes. and they literally are trying to move right now while the iron's hot, so to speak, with an agenda that will have long-lasting effects way after the recovery, folks. Don't be fooled on this one, Pete. That's right. And the fact that 27 free market organizations signed this coalition letter, you've got Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council, Market Institute, Hispanic Leadership Fund, Heritage Action, Freedom Works, um, Council for Citizens Against Government Waste, were all united in saying this is a bad idea for any business of any size to have to confront, especially at a time like this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be very careful that we don't allow the wrong things to happen. As Pete pointed this out at the start of the program, look, we can do things right. We can recover. we got a long road to hope for it, no doubt about it. But look, we need to be very careful of what moves we make because, you know what, we can make moves that can absolutely shut down the potential recovery that can set us back years in the recovery if we're not very careful. And in my opinion, This highlights one of them. We need to support President Trump's prioritizing deregulation, and we need to reject this idea of controlling uh, the free market under the guise of, quote, saving business, because what you'll end up with is nobody saves them, and, well, they're gone, and there's no jobs. Now you have nobody saving them and no jobs. I don't see how that is helpful. Pete Sepp writes an article, believe it or not. Uh, There's a lot of authors writing for NTU right now, but Pete Sepp writes one himself, says coalition urges... Congressional Support for the Public Buildings Renewal Act. Pete, catch us up. Yes, this is a legislative proposal that's been in the hopper now for the better part of six years. And it's especially an opportune time to consider it because governments are going to have certain facilities that they're going to want to build or upgrade at the state or local level. Firehouses, university buildings, schools. Um, even government office buildings of a general nature. Well, one of the reasons why the buildings are always much more expensive than they need to be costing taxpayers a whole lot of money um, due to schedule slippages, cost overruns, what have you, is because the private sector is usually the last to become involved in the project. Government tries to run it from start to finish, And you don't have the private sector expertise brought in from the beginning to manage the construction of the project, but equally important, the maintenance of the project. One way you encourage that kind of public-private partnership is to allow for more private investment in these public buildings. How do you do that? 
you create what are called private activity bonds. It's a highly technical market, a highly technical term, but basically it attracts private investors in public building projects. And in so doing, you're introducing private sector cost discipline so you don't get the kind of crazy cost overruns you often see when these structures are put up. We're not saying that government should be constructing a whole lot more buildings. We're saying that for the buildings you do decide to construct, you've got to do them more efficiently and effectively. And this bill does it. And a bunch of other organizations besides ours are endorsing it, hoping that Congress will take this smart approach if they're going to consider any kind of bill on infrastructure. Now, let's be very clear about what this does. We're talking about creating the private sector involvement and competition uh, in bidding as opposed to cost overruns and inside whatevers. And this really makes it more transparent. It creates competition. Am I missing it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it does. And it encourages the long-term maintenance of structures because private sector experts know that putting up the building is only the first part of a construction project. Maintaining it is equally important because if you don't do that, the infrastructure is going to wear out far, far sooner than it should. And you find yourself back to square one having to build the stuff all over again. Wow. Uh, it's hard to know uh, about some of these bills because the way they're named and the what's going on, unless you get somebody to break it down for you, it's hard to kind of know where to stand on these things, Pete. That's why people need to partner with NTU.org and learn about the work you've done over the years, kind of gain trust. And when you know you bring something up, then you can get, a, get kind of a quick update from columns like yours to kind of say, okay, that's what this is about. Here's what the issues are. Here's where um, you know I need to understand a little bit more and or support and or not support based on the issues. Uh, you become the, um, I don't know, you guys do basically all the behind the scenes work, all the heavy lifting to make it easy for people to understand what's going on. And it is a lot of heavy lifting, but it's worth it. And I should point out that so many of these bills that we're talking about today do have some bipartisan backing. The Public Buildings Renewal Act is a big example. An almost equal number of Democrats and Republicans are sponsors of this bill. And uh, while we are approaching this from the perspective of a taxpayer group, a fiscally conservative, pro-constitutionalist organization. Others may have different motives. As long as we're all transparent with each other, we're happy to work with those organizations and those members of Congress and say, we each have our own reasons for supporting this bill, but we all agree it's a good idea, so let's get it done. Wow. Imagine something so simple. Can it really be like that in Washington? (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not all the time, but uh, some of the time, yes. Well, and I, and I bring this up especially, let me be very clear, especially in times like these. And I don't mean to overemphasize that point, but I do mean to say, look, we're not in a time where we can make mistakes. We're not in a time when partisan bickering needs to happen. We're in a time when we all need to double down and say, let's make America great because you know what? We can lead the world and help the world be great. Let's have Pete respond to that on the other side. Then another column to finish up on, and then we'll let him fly. Hang tight, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing like Liberty Roundtable Live. Liberty is not free. 
its costs are innumerable. Without monetary funding, the valiant efforts of freedom-loving Americans become diminished or outright defeated. We present a solution, the Give Me Liberty Fund. The plan is quite simple. Invite individual Americans to contribute less than a dollar a day. These monetary funds are used to promote liberty-minded media, organizations, events, candidates, movements, and speakers. In the spirit of transparency, all expenditures are published. Patriotic business owners provide discounted products and services to Give Me Liberty Fund members. Our greatest strength is in numbers. Go to GiveMeLibertyFund.com and become part of the solution today. GiveMeLibertyFund.com Participate in the peaceful restoration of the greatest and freest country in the world. Kosher. Certified. Put the two words together to get co-certified, which is spelled with an S-E-H instead of just S-H. It's the right way to spell this, the German way, and it made it easier to trademark. Now, did I tell you that the letters S-E-H still make the shh sound, as in all those American food producers saying shh? Let's keep it really quiet that our product is kosher certified. Think about it. Nearly one century of kosher certification, and hardly anyone outside exclusive observers knows that most packaged food and kitchen products are literally certified by religious intermediaries. Well, because you, consumer, are indirectly paying for this, the Co-Certified app is here to make kosher certification awareness an inclusive matter for people of all faiths and identities. And it even boasts a unique database of products not kosher certified. We call that NKC. Start meaning it. It's fun. NKC, not kosher certified. Now to confuse our audience even more, we put a question mark at the end of our name. And that really cinched our trademark approval. It relates to the website where you can begin your new shopping behavior, thekosherquestion.com. There's so many little things, ladies and gentlemen, that are being done. One little teeny bit seems to not be a big deal. But when you understand the repercussions and the ripple effect that Pete Sepp, NationalTaxpayersUnion.org, and uh, yours truly have been talking about today are critical. And those little teeny things add up in the synergistic effect and that the ripple effect, the triple down effect uh, matter, folks. They really do. So when we talk about the Public Buildings Renewal Act, that's good. When we talk about leading 27 free market organizations to say, hey, be careful, don't do that, that's good. When we talk about President Trump prioritizing some deregulation efforts, when we talk about uh, the U.S. Treasury uh, postponing some of these excise taxes, um, all these little teeny bits start to add up, and there's a huge, huge economic positive impact, okay, allowing the uh, foreign money, uh, overseas held by U.S. corporations to be brought back into the United States or repatriating that money. Huge. All these things matter. Here's another one. NTU endorses bill to reform the electric vehicle tax credit. Brandon Arnold with that piece. Again, it might seem small, but we're talking about the future generations of vehicles here. Uh, and how will it be done? What will go on? How expensive will it be for the taxpayer? That all is at the heart of this discussion, Pete. Yes, absolutely. And this is a tax credit that uh, is really a handout that distorts the automobile market and uh, is really a a lot like an expensive subsidy for certain taxpayers. Uh, What we're trying to do 
here is endorse a bill. It's called uh, Ending the Electric Vehicle Entitlement for the Wealthy Act. And it just is instituting some pragmatic changes to the electric vehicle tax credit. We're not saying that uh, all tax credits are bad. We're certainly uh, not saying that electric vehicles are a bad idea for some consumers. What we're saying is, okay, why are we giving certain producers of electric vehicles a competitive edge over their competitors? That's the way the electric vehicle tax credit is designed now. Only a certain number of automobile manufacturers are able to offer the credit, and each manufacturer gets a certain number of those credits. Well, in our book, if we're going to have a fair market for these electric vehicles, why not allow any producer to offer the credit, keep the number of credits the same so that uh, we're not over-subsidizing the market, but open it up to competition? Maybe that will drive down prices, and maybe it will convince uh, some drivers to say, well, this may be a better deal for me uh, than I thought, and uh, maybe the electric vehicle market will be able to stand on its own more quickly. What an opportunity. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm afraid that because of the mainstream press news cycle right now, if it bleeds, it leads, and uh, the coronavirus taking center stage, most people aren't hearing about the Awesome efforts of people being made all over the country from local people partnering with you guys to reduce taxes and create tax transparency and accountability in the area all the way up to the bills we've been talking about and everywhere in between. There's a lot going on. People don't get wind of it all, Pete. No, they don't. And these are the kinds of proposals that often get crammed into these massive bills that Congress will end up debating, the so-called CARES Act the first major coronavirus response act. There were a couple of others prior to that time, but this has been the big framework that's had thousands of provisions and hundreds of pages of text. But many of these individual bills are the things that make it into those packages. I get the feeling that the next legislative package is going to have a lot in it about tax policy, a lot in it about infrastructure policy, and some things in it about regulatory policy. All of the bills we've been discussing on this show may have a place in the next package. And so that's another reason why we keep working on these proposals that seem relatively small. They add up, and they eventually get thrown into much bigger bills. All right. Um I think we need to really realize there's different sectors uh, of organizations that are struggling. For example, anybody in travel, anybody in airlines, anybody in churches, you know, those people have been probably hit the hardest. I'm not saying other people haven't been hit, but I'm saying uh, all is not equal in terms of the suffering uh, related to this as well. And it's hard to create a balance between saying, okay, we know this group is suffering more. How do we help them but not? subsidize and cater to them and give them a greater handout how do we make sure it's open and fair and transparent and free market and that's really what the devil be in the details are regarding all that we're talking about here right yeah absolutely and getting that balance is a very difficult thing when congress of course tries to 
keep its hand very close to the vest, uh, to use a term from uh, card games. And, you know, they'll come out with a massive package and uh, the leadership of the House and Senate will say, "Okay, we're going to hold a vote in 72 hours. Here's the 1200 page bill. Uh, Let's have at it. So there is, again, another reason for groups like ours to pay attention to the details, because uh, we can easily see when our lobbying team starts to look at the bill we have only 72 hours to work on. Uh, we can say, aha, uh, that provision uh, was introduced as a standalone bill a month ago. Here's another one and another and another. Um, and we and sometimes we can say, okay, great. Other times we can say, oh, wow, watch out. This is a really rotten bill, and they're trying to sneak it through. Uh, so being prepared is vitally important right now. Uh, knowing in advance uh, the bills that are already out there and knowing that they might get combined in all kinds of different ways in a package that Congress wants to rush through is just vital. Amen. I also think we need to realize one core fundamental reality in this is that businesses are nothing but extensions of people. Okay. And uh, people and jobs, jobs are nothing but an extension of people. And churches are nothing but a but an expression or an extension of people. And the reason that I bring this up, Pete, is I think we need to think about the individual. And uh, two individuals make up a family, and etc. And, and we need to start there and say, look, America is a a society of individuals. And the individual is what the founding fathers looked at and understood, the individual and the family. And they weren't selfish, but they understood the fundamental need of society is the point. And the reason that I'm bringing this up in this discussion is because I think what we need to do is say, hey, what we don't want to do is, is have Americans pay a bunch of money to the government and then the government to give us money back. We're better off saying, how do we relieve pressure on the American people? And maybe what we do is we cancel income tax for a couple of years. Or forever, for that matter. Maybe what we do is we reduce tariffs on goods and services. Maybe what we do, and, and, and you can come up with five or six or ten things that would be very simple uh, and, and that would simply reduce regulatory compliance and reduce complications that would have such an impact that it could be tenfold, a hundredfold what's being discussed right now. Because to write me a check for 1200 bucks as an individual, but then say you still have to file your income tax, well, it costs me five, 600 bucks to file my income tax if I've got a business, or at least 100 bucks and hours of compliance if I don't. And, and I look at all that and I go, maybe they could just reduce my obligation to them, and therefore, you know, wouldn't it be much simpler if we were to think that way? It certainly would. And I know we've said this a lot, especially at a time like this. It offers us the opportunity to take a step back and consider just what you've been saying. Do we want a government that functions as a massive transfer payment, takes a lot of money from people and then gives it back out after churning it through a bureaucracy? Or do we want a government that has a limited role capable of empowering people with the money that they're allowed to keep in the first place? I think that's a fundamental question that we can ask right now. After all, leaders are saying this is an unprecedented point in our history, requiring an unprecedented policy response. Well, who says the unprecedented response has to be trillions of dollars in debt and the government acting as that transfer payment center? We might as well 
have a debate on the constitutional limits of government and restoring the role of government in a society that our founders intended to have. Well, we got a lot of work to do, folks, but the good news is we have people to partner with in our efforts. Uh, Pete, I know we've only got a couple of minutes left, but what else are you guys working on or doing? I know you guys are researching a lot of the policies um, to tell us how good or bad or how negative or positive they'll be on the economy uh, So that in, in an effort to help us make the right moves. Um, what have you guys been uh, highlighting uh, as of recent that we ought to be aware of? Well, we're taking a hard look at uh, the upcoming federal budget debate. After all, uh, the fiscal year ends in October of this year, and there are going to be a lot of decisions made over how much the federal government is going to spend in the upcoming fiscal year. We have to start planning for that. And again, putting out ideas that say, why don't we think of the constitutional role of government first and budget from there rather than vice versa. Don't make it an afterthought. We also have to start thinking about the next tax filing season. To your point, Sam, would it be easier, for example, to just have people keep their own money in the first place and and uh, spare the IRS this administrative burden of having to go through another tax filing season uh, with one hand tied behind its back, uh, not able to process returns. Those are important considerations, and they're coming closer than uh, most people think. I mean, the fall now of 2020 is about three, four months away. Uh, that's the blink of an eye here in Washington, D.C., so we've got to get to work now on those practical details while keeping an eye on some of these fundamental questions and making sure they're part of the discussion. And we got to do the same thing at the local and state levels. Now, people need to understand this election coming up. I know they want to, you know, have people just stay at home and do vote by mail and whatever they want to do. Uh, set aside the debate on that for a second. Uh, but understanding it from a tax perspective and from a prosperity perspective, we better be vigilant in this election, sir. I'm telling you right now. Yes, that's right. And don't uh, everybody should remember this is not just an election of candidates at the state and local level. There will be many important ballot measures regarding the level of taxes and spending that folks need to turn out and vote on. This is a point in time when governments are going to possibly try to propose property and other tax increases to deal with what they call their budget crisis, and they'll create a budget crisis and family budgets so doing. So be vigilant. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to pray hard and work hard, all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, Pete Set, my friends, thank you so much for the update and what's going on in your world, and we're grateful for your efforts, not only in the United States of America, but around the world, uh, not only uh, on every level. You guys work locally as well as nationally. Uh, for people to learn more, NTU.org, that's National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. We've watched them for more than 25 years, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm telling you, they have been in the trenches doing the most phenomenal job you could imagine. Not picking sides, not playing partisan politics, not, uh, but just simply standing for that which will embrace the free market and that which will bless you and the lives of your family and loved ones. Pete, thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. God bless you. We'll talk soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for Sam and Kurt, we declare this nation shall endure. God save the United States of America.